Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Can I tell you one little story about Compassion Sunday? I couldn't share it last week. And by the way, I don't know, Megan and I, we came home on Easter last week. I can't remember an Easter service that we enjoyed as much. And maybe I, I was the preacher and she was one of the singers, but it was a great Easter Sunday. It was one, really, yeah, it was a, it was a fabulous Sunday. And uh, it, it's kind of nice this week, right? We're back to a more normal crowd. You have more leg room, right? You don't have anybody like right up in your grill. Like this is kind of nice, right? So the Christers aren't with us this morning. We hope they come back. But uh, listen, we're, we're moving on. And I just wanted to say a quick story. I don't know how many of you noticed if you were traveling on 25 the last two days, uh, you know that little red, it used to be a florist shop for years, and it's dilapidated, and it's, it, it, needs, it needs help. It needs love, right? So Megan has been telling me for a while, honey, you need to go over there and talk to those people. I don't know who those people are, right? But she's like, you need to go over there and talk to them and tell them on Compassion Sunday, we'll either knock that place down. We'll get a team of people to knock it down. I know that's nice. Hey, buddy, we're going to knock your house down because it's not very nice. Or we're going to have a painting party, right? We're going to go over there and we're going to help you out. So she's been asking me time and time again. And finally, last Saturday, I acquiesced and I said, all right, I'm going to go, right? So there I go there and I knock on the door. Nobody answers. Now, again, I'm a little apprehensive. I don't know anything about these, right, who the owner is. So eventually I go back. There's like a whole horse farm back there. It's beautiful. You wouldn't know that from just looking on 25 as you drive by. So to make a long story short, though, this one woman says, oh, I'll go get Tony. Tony's the owner of the house, and we moved here two years ago. Great. All right. This guy comes up, the nicest man in the world, right? He, you know what I loved about him? He had earrings. He was tatted up, this guy, right? But I, I, this guy, you talked to him in two seconds. I fell in love with the guy, right? So this guy, we start talking. You know what? God drops on me, and this guy, and I'm not, make, I'm not, I'm not embellishing at all, I said to him, did you get an accident eight years ago? Were you in like a motorcycle accident or something? Because I just knew who this guy was, right? So he's looking at me and he's like, motorcycle accident eight years ago. And he's a little bit like, all right, who's this crazy guy that's asking me this question, right? So he really like backed up for a second. I said, I feel like I, were you in Mather Hospital eight years ago for something? And he goes, I didn't have a motorcycle accident, but I had a a jet ski accident. Yeah, I did. I said, I remember you. I was there. I, my wife was in St. Charles giving birth to our first son. My, that, who cares about that? My life was on the line. I had Lyme disease, right? Didn't know it at the time. But I'm sitting there and I'm watching this man and he's pacing back and forth. And his arms were cut. I mean, it was, it was a gross scene. I said, I remember you there. I never forgot you. So at this point, this guy's going, dude, really? Like, really? He's really starting to back up now. He's like, how do you know this? Who are you? I said, I'm a pastor up the road. This stuff happens all the time right? I'm kidding, right? And, and I said to him, no, man, God, just what I, I just remembered you. I don't know. So we get into a whole conversation. I meet his wife, right? And I said, we just want to help you in the front with that house. He stores hay and stuff. He wants to use, he goes, look, I know it's an eyesore. He goes, we, with the town and all the regulations and the permits and all this stuff, we want to change things, but down the road a little bit. So maybe give us some time. Then we'll have a paint party, right? I'm like, yeah, great. We'll get people to come over. But then I'm talking to him and his wife at the end. And they're like, listen, are you the church with the bells? We hear those bells. Really? I'm not. The guy says, are you the church with the bells? And I said, yeah, we happen to be that church. My wife and I have been so drawn to that place. We want to go. So what they're saying to me, right? We want to go to the church. What are your services? Do you have stuff during the week, guys? Like, you have stuff with men, men meet, and whatever? And she's like, I'm not religious. And I said, oh, good, because I'm not either. That's great. She goes, I'm spiritual. I said, so am I, right? So we continued to talk, and right away the barriers came down. And I left there on such a high, and I said, you know what? That's what evangelism looks like. The Compassion Sunday is not just, oh, we made the flower. Look at the flowers, and we painted over here and did this. It's striking up relationships with people we don't know. It's being salt and light in the community. Oh, wait, you thought it was still... I'm here to preach this morning. I'm not giving you leftovers this morning. I'm giving you a fresh word this morning. I brought the filet mignon out today right? I didn't bring any of the Easter pie with me. Yeah, you should clap. That's right. You know, they call this low Sunday, 
low Sunday, low Sunday, right? You heard Pastor Joe say it. Attendance, this is one of the lowest weeks of the year. Well, we're starting a new series. I don't feel low today. I feel pretty high today, right? Not the I feel I'm I feel good, all right? Some of you are like, "Really? You feel high today?" I feel good right now. And here we are. If you got the message from Joanne, it sent it out a couple of times this week. I was going to start this later on, but we're going to be doing a character study of, of the life of Jacob. Now, I have never done this before. It's hard to believe because I've been preaching for a while now. I'm not as long as Pastor Linda and Pastor Joe. They're a little older than I am, but I've been preaching here for a while. I've never done a character study. And you know what really got me into it? I've done a lot in biographies, right? Bringing in saints from the past. And I said, you know what? I have to start doing characters from the Bible. I'm going to be preaching on Jacob. I'm going minimum four weeks. I may go five weeks. All right, depending. I have, I'm going to drop some Moabs on you. As we get into, listen, as we get into like the wrestling scene, the fight of his life, I didn't know what to title this even whole series. It was hard. I'm talking to Megan last time. Like, we, we were talking, the wrestler, right? Because this is a guy that wrestles his entire life. Right, so one sermon will be the wrestler, but even when you get into the sister wives, right? Remember, it's a TV show. Sister, I have to call one of the sermons "Sister Wives," and uh, that's, that'll that'll be interesting how we navigate that. But there's so many great stories here in this guy's life. So this morning, the title is going to be just identity, and what I want you to tell the person next to you is, don't pull out your fake ID. Tell the person next to you, don't pull out your fake ID. Don't pull out your fake ID. How many of us know, right? How many of us know we can come to church and we bring fake IDs? I kind of like that. I had this thought like late last night. I'm like, that's what we do. And we pull out those fake IDs. This is a series. This is a series about identity and who we are in Christ. How many of us know there is a, a me a me that we want to be, a person we want to be, we strive to be, but then there's a person that we really are, reality, who we really are. There is a person that we want other people to see, but then there's a person who we really are. There's the person who we sell and we put on certain outfits and we put on makeup and we put on all this clothing and we say, this is who I am, but then there's a person who we really are. You know why I picked Jacob too? Jacob is a paradox. And a paradox just means a contradiction. Because in one sense, I'm telling you at the outset of the series, Jacob is somebody who by the end you go, wow, this guy really loves God. In spite of the fact, can I preface everything before we even get into the, into the, uh, the word, Jacob is somebody, when you look at his story, even the narrator, every commentator I read says, the, the narrator is clearly telling you, I don't even like this guy. He's not the likable kid. He's the black sheep of the family. So if you're the black sheep of your family, you're in good company today. So there he is. And he's a great paradox. He's a contradiction. You know what? You're a contradiction. And so I'm a contradiction. Your kids are a contradiction. Your, your mother-in-law is a contradiction. Not, not my mother-in-law. She put her hand up. But your mother-in-law is a contradiction. Right? Come on. We're all contradictions. Because Jacob is, he loves God in one sense, but then on the other hand, you may know this already, right? He's a deceiver. He's a supplanter. That's one part of what his name means. I'm going in, we're going to go into some depth in, in certain sermons. We're going to go in more depth than others. I'm going to jump around his life a little bit. I'm not going chronologically, and you're going to see that today. And there's a reason for that. And you'll have to trust me. Even if you don't, just trust me. And I could have picked anybody in the Bible. I could have picked Noah, right? Right at the beginning of the Bible, you look at Noah. What does Noah do? Noah's supposed to build an ark. He's supposed to preserve humanity. He builds this ark and, and, and the animals, right? But then later on in Noah's story, some crazy things happened. Did any of you see the movie a couple of years ago? Right? Yeah, yeah, it was awful. It was terrible. Could have picked Noah. Could have picked Abraham. He was told he's going to be father of, the father of many nations. And he's a liar. Could have picked Moses, right? Moses is somebody, he's a murderer, and he's a man on the run. He's the one that God uses, right, to free the, the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Could have chosen David. Look at the life of David. David was an adulterer. And he wanted a woman so bad, Bathsheba, after he slept with her. Right, what does he do? He takes her husband, who is fighting for him as the king. And Uriah takes Uriah and puts him on the front lines. And he loses his life. 
We're in good company, friends. There are so many people in the Bible that are contradictions. And let me tell you something. We say it here in this place all the time. No perfect people are allowed. If you're a perfect person, you got to leave right now. Right? I'm serious. There are no perfect people. And don't you ever go to a church? Don't you ever listen to somebody on the internet? Don't you ever listen to somebody, a pastor, that says, this church or we are supposed to be perfect people because we're not perfect. We're all imperfect. We're all flawed. We're all unqualified. Every single one of us, not one of us in here isn't. And let me tell you too, you know what I want in this series? I don't want this to be a biography. This is not a biography of Jacob's life. This is a series, and my goal is that you would have an encounter with yourself and an encounter with God. Let me say that again because you probably missed it. I'm not just saying you need an encounter with God. I'm saying in this series you need an encounter with yourself. And that's where we're going to go deep when you look at this guy's life and how complicated he is. So I don't want this series, I don't want these sermons to smell like a library. I don't want these ser- this whole series to smell like what, what commentators are saying. I want this series to smell like real life. I want this to be applicable to where we are, wherever you are. I want this to be something that you can understand and that you can encounter and experience God in a new and fuller way. That's the goal. And let's pray before we even get into the word. Lord, I just ask right now that you would start this out on low Sunday. Father, there are low expectations. But Father, I thank you as we sang those songs this morning. Yes, you indeed are still risen. We are not an Easter people, Lord, that just say Easter is a one-time event. We said last week, Easter is a lens. The resurrection is a lens by which we look at the rest of our lives. Help us to see through the life of Jacob what you are saying to us individually and what you are saying to the church, Father. Oh, we desperately want to meet you. We want to know you. Lord, we don't want to just know about you. We want to know you more intimately, Lord. We want to see into you, Father. And we want you to see into us through this story. Change us, Lord. Rearrange us. But Lord, drop your spirit heavy and hard here right now. Have your way in this place. I come against fatigue. I come against depression. Lord, I come against anxiety. I come against people that are looking to the future or the past. Lord, help us to stay in the present moment, Father. Lord, may we not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Let's worry about today. Let's live in the moment. Let's live in the now, Father. May that be. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow is that. Listen, what's going to happen tomorrow for you? Tomorrow is a sexy place to live. Because you can kind of fantasize. Think about it. You can fantasize about it. Everything that's going to happen. Let's live here right now. Let's live in this moment. Let's, let's, let's feel and see what God is saying to us in the story. And if you have your Bibles, you turn on your phone or open your Bible, whatever you have. We're going to start in Genesis 25 and we're going to be in verse number 19. That's where we're going to start looking. That's where we meet this character, Jacob, for the first time. This is where we see him. Megan, can you throw me my water, please? Was that my water or is that your water? It's our water, baby. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? That's better. Okay, so starting in verse number uh, 19, 25. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam. Like, you love the names, right? Every time you get into these stories. And sister of Laban, the Aramean. We'll get into Laban in another part. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Because you just kind of read it like, why is this happening to me? Every single woman in here, right? Right here is a woman that is childless. She is praying, and she wants kids. Right. And then what does she get? She's going to get the kids. And then she's like, why is this happening to me? Women in here. This would be a good Mother's Day. I could do a Mother's Day sermon on this. Why is this happening to me? Not to me, but to you. Okay. so we see this in the first part of the story. 
The Lord answers her prayer and she becomes pregnant. She has this miraculous conception. But in Hebrew, I want you to see this where it says they, the babies jostled each other within her. In Hebrew, literally means they're fighting. Like real, there's real fighting in there, right? They're like doing jujitsu inside the womb. They're going at it with each other. Right. If you have ever had a baby, right, women, if you've had a baby, right, you, you carried a baby, you know what that's like when that baby moves around. Now, times some of you have had twins, you multiply that by two and then the, they don't like each other. Right. From conception, they're not getting along with each other. So here she is. Right. She finds out she's going to have a baby. What does she do? She went to get her sonogram. Imagine to her shock, right? And she's perplexed. She goes in and they take that slimy jelly stuff out, right? And they put it on her stomach and they start moving around like, yeah, yeah, you're pregnant. Not only are you pregnant, you're having twins. And not only are you having twins, but they're going at it with each other in the womb. Great. Awesome. Just what I wanted to hear. And I was thinking about it. You know what? This is symbolic of what happens to us. You know when God gives you a dream? Or God says, you know what? God gives us a vision of something. Isn't there usually a battle that takes place from the moment you get it? Has God ever given you something and you knew in your heart, you knew in your mind that God was going to do something in your life? But there was a battle that took place. It wasn't easy. It's no such thing as easy street. And there was a battle that would take place to get what God had said he was going to give us. For In order for that to come for, to fruition, there's going to be a battle that takes place. Well, I think it's symbolic. That's what's happening here. And then, as we just said, why me? Now, go down to verse 23. Let's continue ahead. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. If you take notes, you have to like, this is right away. You have to highlight this. The older will serve the younger. That doesn't happen. Law of primogeniture and just in in that ancient culture to simplify it. And we'll get into this more. You don't see that. The oldest is the one that is revered. The oldest is the one that's going to get everything. So for her to hear this, she heard this. That the younger will be served by the older. Wow, this is a little different. And also, hey, listen, Rebecca, this is much bigger than just you and your two kids. This is about nations. This is about something that is vastly more important than what you think. You think this is just about your life. Oh, girl, this is much bigger than that. Where am I? When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was Red. Can we just call him Red for the rest of the series? Why the heck not? And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Literally means in Hebrew, it means, it's literally what it means. Something that looks like Red. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So this is something that is bigger. We're going to get into that later on. But you see this here. The first guy, Esau, red. Red comes out. And if you're a hairy person, he is your patron saint. Right? Esau is your patron saint. Isn't it amazing as you get older? And I'm thinking about this the other day. It was kind of embarrassing. Now when I go to the barber, I'm in my 40s now. So now when I go to the barber, right? He not only cuts your hair, but you see hair grow boldly in places that it never grew before. And now he starts taking that, whatever that clipper thing is, and he goes in my nose and he's going inside my ears. That didn't happen 10 years ago. You notice that, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about? So if you're a hairy person, listen, you're in good company. He's your patron saint. This is your guy, right? And the nation, listen to me, the nation of Edom would eventually be taken or come from this guy Esau. So then you see this after it. What happens right after? You see Jacob is born. Jacob means one part of uh, the meaning of his name. It means supplanter. It means deceiver. But really what it means, it literally means heel grabber. Jacob's a heel grabber. He's coming out and he's holding on to his brother. Now, why the heck would this guy, why is the younger brother doing this to the older brother? Well, first thing you got to say is they're stuck with these, you know, Jacob is stuck with this name for the rest of his life. Isn't it crazy? Before, right? He even comes out before he's even really conscious. He doesn't know anything as a baby. You don't know anything as a baby, but he is given this name for the rest of his life. 
Of course, it's going to change later. But he, really, he is given this name. He didn't do anything to, de- he, well, he kind of deserved it. But he was kind of basically just born this way. And he's trying to get his brother's heel. He's trying to get ahead. Now, this is the part where I have to say to you and try to keep it pretty simple. The firstborn child, you got the lion's share of your parents' inheritance. It wasn't like today, if you have a couple of kids, maybe you have three or four kids, right? And you share the inheritance. It goes equally. It's evenly dispersed, right? Amongst you and your siblings. Not in the case of this ancient culture. So in the Old Testament, it would be the firstborn male. You are the one, right? You're the firstborn. It's not, it has nothing to do with Jacob here. It's all about Esau. Esau is going to get everything because he's the firstborn. No wonder Jacob is jostling with him in the womb. If I could just be first, five seconds earlier, right? Can't you see Jacob? If I can just be first, I want to get there first. And you know what? For all of us that don't believe in original sin, that we're born with this selfish attitude, this me first attitude, you don't have kids. You don't have kids, right? I never had to teach my seven-year-old, who's now seven years old and almost eight. And by the way, that boy almost met Jesus this week. My son, I'm not, you think I'm kidding. My son almost met Jesus this week, right? Can I tell you this? Just to show you how normal our lives are, no different than yours. So compassion, it's Wednesday night, right? right? It's Wednesday night and we're having a video conference. So the leaders, we're meeting with all the leaders, right? <laughs> can't make this up. So Megan and I prepare. Megan's telling me, you can't be in the same room as me, right? It won't work right. This, what is it? Zoom, whatever the technology is, right? I'm like, all right, great, whatever. My oldest, we put him down to sleep. He wants to go to sleep on the couch. Daddy, I want to go to sleep on the couch. Do you want to go to sleep on the couch? All right, go ahead. Go to sleep on the couch. He hears me on this conference call when it starts. And he's been nudging us all night. You know when your kids are nudging you all night, all night, all night. He's cranky. He's nudging us. And he's getting after mom more than he's getting after me. So I have a little more patience at this point, right? Only this night. It's only this night, right? So I have a little more patience. And next thing you know, I leave and go next door to my parents to, to kind of escape So I said, I'm going to get some quiet. I'm going to go next door. You can stay in here, right? So I'm hanging out next door. You remember this, right? You can't forget this. So I'm sitting in there. And then he comes inside. He wants to bother me, right? He starts bothering me more. And then mom comes in and we're getting into it with him. I don't even, I forget. You ever like get in a moment? I forget that my phone is on. I have all these other leaders that are there, right? So at some point, the switch flipped. I was done. And I'm like, boom, I grabbed the kid. I I drag him out of there, not realizing again that other people are like, what's going on with James and Megan over there, right? So I take him and I discipline him and I lightly put him on a couch. Two minutes later, the best part is Christian Losey goes, uh, I think somebody just got murdered. <laughs> and I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, Megan, did we say anything that was really bad? Did, that's all we cared about. Like, did we say anything? But you know what? You know what was wonderful about it? I apologized afterwards. I did. I, I said, listen, if anybody saw me disciplining my child, you know, I'm still working on that book, right? The parenting book. But it was, it was kind of neat. As I laughed about it later in the week, I really didn't care if, if I was judged. You probably should have judged me. But I said, you know what? I'm normal just like anybody else. We're normal parents. So again, no perfect people allowed. If that's you, right? If you're not perfect, hey, you're in good company here with us. So anyway, back to this, this me first mentality. And what was I saying, right? If it, it, this the original sin, if you don't believe that, my seven-year-old, I didn't have to, t- and you don't have to teach your kids either, right? Did you have to teach your kids to say no? Did you have to teach your kids to say mine? No, I still have to teach my kids, please, thank you. You have to teach them those things, but you did not have to teach them Please, I mean, you do not have to teach them no in mind. They kind of just knew those things, right? And if you're somebody that you don't believe in the devil, you don't believe in the devil, you have never worked with middle school kids. You don't have any middle school kids in your house. How true is that, right? I taught one year of middle school. I taught one year and I said, I don't know if education is for me. I was ready to bolt. I was ready to leave. I'll do anything but middle school. Those are tough years, right? I mean, those tough years for kids, how awkward it is. Right? And how they look and how they feel and da 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 da. Right? But really, is it possible? Can I ask you this question, getting back on track? Is it possible really to be God centered in a me first world? 
Is it really possible in this world to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then everything else will be added unto us? Because the world out there tells you it's all about you. Me first. Me first. Think about yourself. Don't think about other people. Think about yourself. Just go driving, right? Later on today, somebody's going to do something to annoy you on the road. Yesterday, I'm driving to pick up camel milk and some other chicken feet for my chicken soup, right? And the rest of you, like, your camels did? Yeah, yeah, the milk is good. But that's, that we're not getting into that. But anyway, and I'm getting, it's like 8 in the morning, and people are cutting me off. And I'm like, here I am. I'm getting annoyed right now. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm letting this stuff get into my skin. And this guy's going ahead of me, and me first. And this one's going me first. And then I'm doing the same thing to other people. Me first. It's a me first world. And Jesus says, you know what he says? He says, this is how it works in the kingdom. There are many who will be last the people that think they're going to be first and the people that think they're last they're going to be first i love how he flips it right he flips it but you're like jesus are you serious really they're last they're going to be first and we really can live in a world where we think about other people first and we think about you first haven't any of you watched that movie or hasn't jesus needs to watch a movie he hasn't seen it yet right the movie what the heck's the name of the movie i just went blank talladega nights how many of you saw that movie i like the movie talladega nights Right? Some of you are judging me right now that I even watched it and I'm bringing it up in church and I said it's a good movie. Well, in that movie, Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby, he's a race car driver, riding some down south, right? And what does his dad say to him? He says, Ricky Bobby, right? If you ain't first boy, you last. Right? It's a great movie, right? It's a great movie. He's wrong, though. Some of you, he's wrong. It's a great movie, but he's wrong. But that's the world we live in. The world we live in is think about yourself, grab at other people's heels, just get ahead, do whatever you need to do to get ahead because it's all about you. At the end of the day, it's all about you. And here is Jacob. He is grasping and he comes out second. And when you think about this clutching mentality, look how C.S. Lewis put it. He's getting a lot of love, right? Doesn't C.S. Lewis get a lot of love from me? Right? You ever notice that? Right? Yeah, yeah. That means that you should read some C.S. Lewis stuff. Okay? Oops. We don't actually take part in the possession itself, but in having more than somebody else. Ooh, how good is that? That kind of really hits home. You know, it's not enough to be thin. I need to be thinner. It's not enough to be rich. I need to be richer. It's not enough for my kids to be smart. They need to be smarter. Remember his grandfather, Abraham? Remember Abraham? And he was from a place called, he went to Ur of the Chaldeans, right? I kind of think sometimes we li- still live in Ur. But the only problem with living in Ur is, at some point, somebody you meet is Ur, Ur. Right? But how true is this? Come on, how true is this really? This is the world we live in. It's me first. It's I want more than those other people have. I care more about myself. Can I now talk about these two guys? Because I did skip this part. The boys grew up. Look at this. The boys grew up, Red and Jacob. And Esau became a skillful hunter, (laughs) a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. What are they saying right here? Can we have some fun with this? Oh, I I waited all week. I, I, I find this so interesting. Red is the kind of guy that can skin a buck. He can run a trout line, right? He's a real good hunter. He has a year-long subscription to Field and Stream. He watches ESPN every single morning, right? You know, some of you guys are like that, right? And then there's Jacob on the other side. You know what? The, you know in Hebrew what this is really saying? You know what it's calling Jacob? You don't see it, but can I tell you what it's saying? It's saying Jacob used to like to hang around the tents, and he used to like to cook with mom. He's a mama's boy! You know what I saw on myself last night? I cooked dinner at home last night. I'm not, listen, I'm not red, right? They don't, none of my friends, they don't take me hunting. The, I don't get, I don't get invitations. Hey, James, we're going hunting this weekend. No one invites me, right? 
Because they know what will happen if I go out into the wild, right? They have to worry not only about the animals, they have to worry about themselves, right? That one of them may get hurt, right? You know what I'm talking about? And there I am. I'm cooking dinner last night, and I made a... Did I make a feast last night? How good was my dinner last night? Some of you... I'm not telling you what I made, but it was good, right? So I made this dinner. I leaned over to Megan. I said, said, Megan, because I'm doing this today. I said, Megan, I'm Jacob. I'm like a mama's boy, right? I know my way around the kitchen, right? They did. Listen, I will say this. A couple of people took me out first time in my life. It was like maybe two years ago and I shot a gun, right? I did shoot a gun. What, what did I shoot? A rifle or a, what did I shoot? A shot, I had a shotgun, right? They gave James Lecce a shotgun, right? And guess what? I was pretty good. I wasn't, you don't believe, I was pretty good. I was real good. None of you believe me, but I was pretty good. So here they are, right? Here are these boys, and, and there is Jacob. Can't you kind of see Jacob? And this is for you, baby. Can't you see Jacob with mommy, and they're watching reruns of Downton Abbey, right? <laughs> and there is Esau. He's out there, and he's all dirty, and he's got the camera on. He's got the war paint on, and he's out there, and he's shooting bucks. He's taking animals out. He's got the lion. He's got the bear over here. He's one tough dude. Totally different. But dad, Isaac loves Esau because he's like him. And there is the mom, Rebecca, and she likes Jacob. Can you say dysfunctional family? (laughs) Right? They would have been on the Jerry Springer show if it was today or a couple of years ago. Can we skip ahead now? This is where I'm going to camp out. I'm going to get deep. So I'm I'm entertaining you a little bit on purpose, but now I'm going to get a little deeper. Can we go to chapter 27 in the book of Genesis? Because I want to take you and sit with the story. Now, next week, I'm focusing, and I have a lot of good stuff. We are going to have some fun next week when we look at these two boys and Esau who's out hunting and he comes in. And you may remember the story. I know Pastor Tom preached about it maybe a year and a half ago, two years. Uh, totally different. So I'm going in a totally different direction, but uh, how Esau gives up his birthright. And we'll get into the whole birthright thing. I'm, I'm all about the blessing today. So if you would turn to chapter 27, I'm going to kind of skip around. I'll tell you some of the story. I'm not going to read you the whole chapter. I'm going to tell you some of the story and I'm going to drop a few boxes on you, okay? A few things that I saw, and, and one commentator in particular that I was just like, oh, just in awe of what he's, and what he's saying is actually right. All right, so here we go. We go to 27, to, uh, starting in uh, verse 2. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Let me just stop and say, he's going to live for a while after this, but he kind of thinks he's on his deathbed, right? He thinks this is the end for him. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty, gluten-free food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. What's going on here? We'll get to that in a second. But you have to understand that his wife, Rebecca... Now, they're in a tent, right? They're not in like this opulent house, this huge house, right? You may think like this is like a big house. They're in a tent, okay? So when Isaac says this to his son Esau, go out and hunt me some wild game, bring it back, cook it up, give it to me, right? I want to give you my blessing. Rebecca hears this. Once she hears this, the wheels start turning in her mind. Well, that means Esau is going to go out. And remember, what, it, what did it say in chapter 25? The older one will serve the younger one. She never forgot that. Jacob is her boy. Esau read, that's not her boy. That's Isaac's boy. Jacob's my boy. So she's saying, I'm, we're going to figure something out here so that you can get the blessing. And then she says, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go get two goats. Oh, they've got to be good goats. And we're going to take them and, and we're going to kill them. And then we're going to sacrifice it, and we're going to take it. I'm going to make an amazing stew and we're going to feed it to your father. She doesn't say my husband. She says, we're going to feed it to your father. And then we're going to pretend that you're Esau. And here, listen, here's Jacob, right? What have I told you about? Ja- Jacob is a con. Jacob, it says Jacob is smooth, right? He literally doesn't have a lot of hair. He has no hair on his chest, right? Red is hairy all over the place, right? Jacob is a little bit different. Jacob, when the text says he is smooth, he is smooth like a con man, right? He knows what he's doing. So here are these two individuals together. You have mom and you have the younger son and they start to come together and she's complicit. And and I understand because of what was said in chapter 25, but they're going to strategize now and they're going to figure this out. And there's Jacob though. He's going, mom, 
You can make that food, but what about me? I don't, come on, I'm not hairy like my brother. I don't have hair on my neck, right? I don't have hair on my chest. I don't have hair on my hands. And look at his clothes. He's bigger than I am. I'm smaller. The text is kind of telling us that, that he's smaller than Esau too, but you, you can't really see it. But he, he said, I can't fit in the clothes. So then look, 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 it goes down to verse 14. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food, the two goats, which I told you about earlier, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. All right. So she's saying there, right? Let him go out. Let him hunt. I'm going to dress you up like your brother. And I would say to us right now, can I talk to parents for a second? Can I talk to parents for a second? We need to be careful what we put on our kids. Because she put clothes that were not his. And as a teacher, I'm speaking as an educator and I'm speaking as a pastor. It's kind of nice sometimes. Sometimes it's not nice to have two full-time jobs, but then sometimes it's nice. This is one of those rare moments where it's real nice. Because I know what it's like and I teach kids and I'm around parents all the time and I see the pressure and I see the stress and I see the anxiety that parents put on their kids. I'm sick of watching parents too. Can I tell you, can I be honest? And you can yell at me down the road. My kids are young, but I'm sick of watching parents live vicariously through their kids. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of watching it with sports. I'm sick of watching it with everything. All other, uh, you pick whatever you want, but we're, we, the biggest battle we have we, in this culture is everything, right? Easter last week, there's no sports today. Everything's all about sports again. Crank it back up. Crank it back up. Who cares about church? Who cares about Sunday? Who cares about God? It's the culture we live in. And there are so many parents right now, and they're good people. They mean well, but they're putting outfits on their kids. How many, if you're not getting this, uh, what's the movie that I love? Keating, what's the movie? What's the movie? I'm just making sure you're awake. I knew what it was. Dead Poet Society. How many of you... I, I, I use this movie once in a blue moon. And today I'm running on the treadmill. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what a picture. Do you remember Dead Poet Society, an older movie. And there's this boy. This is fiction. It's not a real story. And there's this teacher. You didn't like... You said to me the other day, you ripped on that movie. Watch out. Watch out. No, no. No. And in this movie, right, there's a character. And he's, he's a theater kid. But his dad's like... You're not doing theater. I, I'm spending all this money to send you to private school so that you'll be a doctor one day. And the kid's like, I don't want to be a doctor. So he goes to his teacher and he's like, what am I supposed to do, Mr. Keating? I don't want to be a doctor. My parents are telling me I have to be a doctor. And there's this real poignant scene where the kid disobeys the father. He disobeys his parents and he's in this play. And the father found out that the kid was actually in the play. And he drives up to the school and it's the end of the play. And all the kids know and his father is here. And this kid is like ashamed and he feels guilty. And his dad takes him in the car and he drives him home. And they get into the house and his dad starts talking to him. And he says at one point, what is it? What do you want to do with your life, Neil? Is it about all this acting stuff? Is that what this is about? You're not going to be an actor. Your mother and father have made many sacrifices for you. And you're going to be a doctor one day. And right then the kids stopped right in his tracks and he was done. He said there was nothing left to live for after that because my parents were trying to put clothes on me. I would say to you, parents, you have to find out what your kids want to do with their lives. What has God deposited in them? And then you put that on them and you help them go find out and do that with their lives. I didn't plan on going off like that, but I don't know. Just felt that. So you look at this. Can I go back to the blessing now? Right, you look at this blessing, and what do you think? Do you think these people are kind of like primitive? Like, is this some like magical incantation? Like, here's Isaac, and he's going to sit the sun down. And he's going to bless him. What the heck is going on here? Right? You looking at this with me? Because that's the way I've always looked at it. I look at this, but this is what one commentator. Can I read this? I didn't put it up there, but just let me read this to you. He says, one commentator, his name is Robert Alter. He's one of the greatest Old Testament scholars. If you ever want somebody to, if you're looking at Genesis or anything else in the Old Testament, he's one of the best. And he says, this narrative presumes that symbolic actions have genuine and abiding power and that spoken words, hear me parents, spoken words, especially of a parent to a child, shape our human life. Words here are not a matter of indifference, which may be attended to or not as is convenient. Can I put it another way? How many of you know the nursery rhyme, right? The old nursery rhyme about sticks and stones, right? Sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can crush my very soul. 
Did you hear what I said? That's what I'm telling you. The words we say to our kids, oh my gosh, the power again. Can I talk a little bit as a teacher? The things that we say, the things I say to kids, the things I write about kids. Can I see my recommendation letter? Why do you want to see your recommendation? I, I just want to see it. You want to compare your recommendation to Johnny's recommendation over there. They want to know what you think about them. And parents, can I tell you this? This is free. This is free. Okay, this is free. In my sociology class, I do this once a semester, and I, I delve into social psychology. You don't really care, but whatever, I'm telling you this anyway. And we talk about birth order. And can I tell you, parents that have young kids, I, I, I'm amazed by this every single semester. Shut that alarm off, whatever is going off. I'm kidding. So here we are, right? I'll, I'll ask my kids. I'll ask high school kids, 30 kids in a classroom, and I'll go, the, 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 you, if I went anywhere, I'd get this response probably. How many of you feel as if you or one of your siblings is your parents' favorite? Every single kid in the room. You may be, listen, every kid in the room, very rare. Let me put it, very rare do I get a kid that's like, no, I really can't tell every kid. No, my dad, it's him. My mom, it's me. This one, no, it's me. I'm the black sheep of the family. You know what I say? I wish I could have a camera. Honestly, I have to hold back tears sometimes because I say, I wish I could have a camera and it could be in the classroom and that all these parents could see what their kids really think about how they think about them, how they feel about them. Parents, they get our underlying messages. They, whatever we're saying to them, the words that we're saying to them. And, and so many times I look at myself, I look in the mirror. I said something last week. We were on vacation and I, another time I snapped. I lost it because I couldn't find Jameson's like food. He can't eat anything. And there I am for like an hour and I'm searching and I'm searching and I snapped and I said something I wish I could take back, but I can't. And my kid heard me say it. So real and so powerful what we say to our kids. The words that we use to build them up. So many kids hear things that are, they, they're torn down. They get tear, torn down. Parents, guidance counselors, teachers. They told me I can't go to that school. They told me I can't do this. They told me I'll never be good enough. They told me I'll never make the team. They told me don't even waste my time. I'm here to tell you, you are your kid's greatest advocate. You are your kid's greatest advocate. You want to build your kids up in the way that they're supposed to go. And if they're depressed and they're down, we're supposed to build them up. That's the job. That's the job of the church. Are you with me this morning? It's our job. Power of words. And, and let me say this. What is this blessing really about? And every scholar says this here. This is, an actu- this is an accurate spiritual discernment of who this person is and how God has made them. This is an accurate spiritual... That's what the blessing is. This is how I see you. This is how I see you because this is how God sees you. Are you with me? That's what the blessing here is. You may go, this is kind of... Can he just take it back? Can he just take it back? When Esau comes back in, can he just say whatever? Can he just take it back? No, no. He's speaking into his life. This is an, he's giving a picture of who he is. He's telling him, this is who you are. This is who you are in God. This is how God sees you. He's trying to encourage. He's trying to empower him. And I love this, right? You move on in the story, right? He goes to Isaac and asks, and Isaac and Jacob in this answering all these questions. And what does Jacob says? Jacob says, I am Esau, your first son. Oh gosh, we're going to get into this in a little bit, a little bit. He delivers the bowl of soup. He goes through with the plan, right? And, and there is, there is Isaac. He kind of misses it. He's asking some questions, but how many of us are so good at pretending you can become so good. And I can be so good at pretending sometimes that I'm something or somebody I'm not that even the closest people around us can't even tell who you are. Did you hear what I said? We can be so good at playing games and pretending we're something we're not. I said to you before, I I love it. John Ortberg talks about in his book, The Me That I Want to Be, a great book. You should put it on your list to read. The me that I want to be, because there's a me that I hope to be, but at the end of the day, there's a me that I really am. The me that I want other people to see. This is how I want people to see me. And we act a certain way, right? We put on other clothes. What do we do? We say it's all about how I look, how attractive I look. So we put those clothes on. Or it's about how polished I am. Oh, I want to be a great parent. I want people to see me that I have everything together. And I'm going to put those clothes on me. We're pretending. We're pretenders. We're putting on clothes. Be who God made us to be. 
And there's so many other examples of it. But even, can I talk about church? Can I talk about how we dress up when we come to church? Think about how we dress up when we come to church. You go to a small group meeting, right? None of you do this, but just pretend other people, other Christians. You would never do any of this. But other Christians, right? And, hey, buddy, how's your week? How are things going? And they put on the Christian clothes. I'm going to put my, like last week was Easter. Just imagine that spiritually speaking. People walk into small group meetings and they put on their finest Christian clothes. How you doing? Well, I have a little bit of fear, a little bit, but I'm working through it. And there are major things going on in that person's life. A little bit of temptation, but really not that much. Not that much stuff going on. So we put those clothes on and we want people to see us a certain way. Oh, you know what? God's just helping me. God's getting me through this. I'll be okay. And we pretend and we act as if everything is okay. We put our Christian clothes on. How many of you have done this? I've done it. And you know what? At the end of the day, it gets exhausting. I'm exhausted by doing it. How many of you? It gets exhausting. The the me that we want other people to see, how we present ourselves to other people, not the real person we are, but who we want other people to see. And I'm not saying you open yourself up and everywhere you go into work tomorrow and somebody says, hey, how was your weekend? I say, yeah, you know what? Pastor James is right. I'm going to tell you how my weekend was and I'm going to tell you what's going on inside me. And the person's like, that's the last time I'm ever asking you how you're doing. Right. You with me? This is one of the most poignant, saddest parts of, of, of this. Look at this. Look at this. I, I said 25 in there. I, that was the wrong number. We're in 27. You probably realize that, but I just saw I did that. Okay, so he went to him. Look at this part. Look at this. So he went to him and kissed him. Isaac is saying, I don't really know. You see, you feel like red because you have the hairy hands and you have the hair on your neck, but something, your voice is different. Something is not right. So he says, he gives him the stew. The text says he gives him the stew and he eats the stew. But then watch this. He he said, I I want you to come kiss. I want you to kiss me. This is Isaac's last test. This is a test. Okay. If you've read this before, this is easy to miss. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Can we talk about this for a second? You know what's going on here? This is deep. I'm going to take it deep. All right. What's going on here is. Here is Jacob, and for the first time in his life, he has waited for this moment his entire life. He's an older man. By the way, how old do you think these? How old do you think he is? By the way, you know what's weird about that? Can I just stop for a second and digress? How weird the story is. These guys are. They're. I think seventy-six years old. Jacob and Esau. Are. She's getting clothes for him. Like, what 76-year-old kid? Why is your mama t- getting your clothes in the house? What the heck is going on here? And I used, to look at her, I used to look at her and go, this is bad that she devised this whole scheme. This guy's 76 years old. Take some responsibility for your own life, right? Anyway, it's a side note. So you see this here. This is the first time in Jacob's life. You have to see this in week one, right? You have to see it's the first time in his life he he gets that look from his father that he's waited for his entire life. He finally gets to smile because the father really thinks he's looking at Esau because he had the clothes on of, of Esau. He smelled like Esau. Isaac is blind. He can't see with his eyes. And there is Jacob, and he sees the look. Finally, I've waited for this moment my entire life. I've waited for my father to look at me and tell me that I'm unique and that I mean something to him and that I love him, that he loves me, that he loves me with all of his heart. He's never heard that before from his father. This is what he's waited for. This is the moment of his life. Everything comes, and you think he'd be happy. Guess what? Right after this event happens, it'll be 21 years. He'll be on the run. Because you know what happens next. They're so stupid. Sorry, can I just say it that way? Don't Rebecca and Jacob realize that Esau was out hunting and at some point he's going to come back in the house and the rue is going to be up, right? Didn't you sit there and you read that and you go, what's wrong with you? He's going to come back in the house and the last time I checked, he's a hunter. He's got a bow and arrow, right? Rock, paper, scissors. Rock beats paper, Bow and arrow beat skillet frying pan. What are you doing? It's true. What's wrong with what's wrong with him? Them? What's wrong with them? 
So there he is. This is the blessing. This is the blessing he's always wanted. You have to see this right from the beginning because this is the story of Jacob. He wrestles his entire life in trying to find the blessing. I want the blessing. I want the blessing. But did you know it's possible to get what you want and then not want what you got? Did you hear what I said? You get nothing else out of this. It's possible to get what you want. Then you got to be like, I don't want this anymore. Because he thought it would do something for him. He thought it would change him. And then right after it, the text doesn't tell us, but I can tell you from everything in Hebrew and studying this and looking at every commentator, you can't tell me because his mom goes, boy, you better run like Forrest Gump. You better run, 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 run. And he's going to be a man on the run for 21 years. And he's going to be on the run. Can you, I want you to see this as he's a man running. Can't you see him as he's running away going, what the heck did I just do? Why did I get involved with this? I feel no different because at the end of the day, he knew that Isaac knew it wasn't him. He thought it was his brother, but it wasn't him. God can't bless who we pretend to be. Let me say it again because some of you didn't hear it. God can't bless who you pretend to be. God can only bless the real me, the me that's underneath, the me that we don't want to show other people, the me that we hide from other people. God can't bless that person. God can only bless who we really are. And here it is. Look, what good is it? What good is it? Jesus said, what good is it if a man gains the world and loses himself, loses who he is? Jacob can't even come back to the house again. He gained what he wanted. I got the blessing. I got the blessing. But here is a man who can never, ever come back to the house again because of what he did. He lost himself when he got the blessing. And then can I give you one, can I give you one other thing? Oh, this is, this is so rich. This is so good. Look at this in 27, 18, 19. When it says, he went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son. He answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. All right, now I want you to compare this. I want you to see what he's looked for his entire life. Then compare that to, look at 32. His father, Isaac, asked him, who are you? I am your son. Look at this. This is Esau. So the first time when Jacob, right? He's deceiving his father. I want you to see the second time when Esau comes in. Look what Esau says. Your firstborn Esau. Now, I didn't see this. The Old Testament scholar Robert Alter showed this to me. and I was like, are you kidding me? In Hebrew, he's literally saying, who are you? He's a little surprised at the first part. But he doesn't think Esau is going to be back soon. No, no, no. I'm in the wrong spot. Where is it? Where is it? I have to find a few. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Robert Alter says this. The last word in any sentence is the focal word. It's the focal point, right? So when you look at this, look at this. In 1819, I am Esau. This is Jacob lying. I am your firstborn. What is the last word? Firstborn. Do you see all of the fighting and all of the struggling? He doesn't care that he's, he's not trying to, all he cares about is that he gets the blessing and that you'll see me, please see me as the firstborn. You see what happened here? And this is another, this is another thing that's pretty deep. When you think about it, he has informally, informally, their entire lives, both the boys, Jacob and Esau, he has already given Esau his blessing. Are you with me? Parents, like I said before, what I said before about the kids and what they see and what they really know and understand, he didn't need a formality to do it. He's done it his entire life. He's told them his entire life that he's better. He cares because you're like me. You're the hunter. You get me the tasty game. Jacob, I don't care about you at all. But that's, the, so it says firstborn. That's all Jacob cares about. Then you look at 32. Look what Esau says. He says, I'm your firstborn. Esau, all Jacob cares about, I want to be the firstborn. I want you to love me. Isn't that good? That's rich. And I think about that too. Parents, kids, they, they, they want our love desperately. They want, our kids want our love. They want to know that they matter. They want to know that they're unique. And that's our job. Our job is to show them that, who they are in Christ, who they are in Christ. That's so important. And then, let me, let me, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And then look at 33. Look at this too. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed he will be blessed. 
Here is where scholars, commentators will say too, you had the, the, the crying scene, or the, the scene where he, I'm sorry, the kissing scene. And then you look at this scene right here. And what does this word indeed mean? It's, it's, it's full of, of implications for this. It means that Jacob, not Jacob, uh, Isaac has been fighting this his entire life. He, don't, he only cares about Esau, right? We've said that the entire message. But when he says indeed here, he remembers back to what was said early on when he talked to Rebecca and the older one will serve the younger one. Do you know what Isaac realizes at this point? He realizes, oh my gosh, I have been fighting this for years. He realizes it's all about grace. And he realizes that God is scandalous. Do you realize that? How scandalous this gospel is? And God scandalized these people. These are real people. He scandalized them and said the younger is going to be served by the older. Are you with me? It scandalizes the gospel, scandalizes people. Are you kidding me? And then you look at this. Take it too as we go to the table now. As we go to the table, right? You think about the firstborn. Do you know the Bible says, I almost spilled that, that would not have been good. Jesus was the firstborn, right? He is, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. As we talked about, he is the firstborn raised from the dead. There were other people that were raised from the dead, but I'm talking about a permanent thing. He is the only begotten son of the father. That means through eternity, Jesus Christ and the father, the relationship that they had with each other. You look at the Trinity, you look at the father, the son and the Holy Spirit and how the father doted on the son, his firstborn son, And he carried that. And then one day he said, son, it's time for you to give up your firstborn status. And you are going to enter the world. And you are going to be a man. And you're going to be just like everybody else. That's what the great incarnation is. You're going to do that. But you're going to give up what you've had and enjoyed for all eternity. You're going to give that up for a little while. And you're going to live a life for 33 years. He leaves the firstborn born blessing. He comes to earth. And what did he do? We talk about it on Palm Sunday. He dies on a cross. What is he doing when he dies on that cross? Can I tell you every single time Jesus prays to the father before he goes to the cross, it is father. It is Abba father. You know what he says when he's on the cross or our father, you know what he says when he's on the cross? God, God, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He says, God, you want to know why? Because for the first time in history, he is separated from God and he is no longer the firstborn son. He's up there on a cross. Why have you forsaken me, God? Because he says, I'm willing to put on the clothes of all humanity and put away my clothes because he loved us so much. Do you understand me? I'm preaching right now. You're not with me, but I'm preaching because you should see that when Jesus is there, he's saying, listen, I'm going to take on the curse. I'm going to put on those clothes and for the first time I'm disconnected from my father he doesn't see me he sees all of us you just take that that's worth the price of admission today alone you realize I'm being serious I don't care that's the truth to realize what he did to give up his firstborn status I know it's the week after Easter and some of you are tired and you're lethargic But I gave you filet mignon. Whether or not you take it, all I can do is serve it to you. And it's your job to take it. It's your job to eat it. It's your job to digest it. All I can do is give it to you. Oh, Lord. I'm going to stop now because I'll just keep going. Lord. Lord, we thank you for the life of Jacob. Lord, what a picture, Father. What a picture of a contradiction. Somebody that doesn't have everything figured out. A dichotomy. Lord, but I thank you that you used him. Lord, I thank you that you use us. People that, Lord, we are also one big contradiction. And then one day we love you. And I think of even a Peter, Lord. And and he, he denied you three times. Lord, nobody in the Bible, nobody is perfect but you. So, Father, I ask as we start this journey and we continue to move out, that you would continue to speak to us, that we continue to see our own lives. We continue to see how you're molding us and you're shaping us. Father, I just ask that we'd be open. Lord, I ask too for a new desire of your word. Lord, the flower may fade, the grass may wither, but your word will stand forever. Lord, I ask for a desire for people to even want to read this story. Father, people have walked in and they think they know the story, but they don't. Father, I ask that you give all of us, because I thought I did, I ask that you would give us a new spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, 
to understand this man, the complexities of his story and how they relate to you, Father. Lord, we want to know you and experience you more in this series. Ushers, as you prepare, listen to me, friends. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning for where I want to take us in this series. I'm going, I said, I'm going at least four parts, probably five. If you miss the wrestling one, you're going to look at it and go, you're just going to miss out. I have so many good things to say. The one about his, about his two wives, Rachel, there's so many good things for us to look at. I'm so excited about this series. I hope you're really going to sign on for this. I hope that we, we said last week, we said last week that faith can be an heirloom, right? And I was in your face a little bit. Not as much you, maybe people that don't usually come here, but I hope you don't put your faith away and say, yeah, I'll see you in six weeks. I'll see you in six. Some of you, I see you like every like month or two. I'm sorry to say, but I do. It's sad. You want me to just sit up here and act like that doesn't happen? It happens. And as a pastor, I grieve over that because we think that we don't need community. We think that we don't need this. We think we don't need hill houses. We need this. This is life support for us to go out into the world and go weeks without getting a fresh look at his word, without seeing, being part of the community. I grieve for you. I love you. I'm only saying that as one of your pastors. I'm not saying to listen. I I preach the same way, whether there are five people in this room, there could be 10,000 people in this room. I don't change my sermons. I prepare like every sermon is my last. And I know the other people that get up here and speak to the same way. But I would say to us, there has to be more of a tenacity has to be more of a tenacity to want more of what God has for us. You can settle. You can settle. That's okay. That's your choice. But I would say there's more. Ushers, please come forward. Thank you. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.